Good morning, Center Ray Church. My name is Tara, and I'm so thankful for another opportunity to gather online together. Whether you're gathering on the live platform or end up watching or listening to this later, welcome. We know there are many familiar faces joining us today, as well as people joining us for the first time each week. And so we want to make sure we're all on the same page. First, we know that this is a challenging season in so many ways. If we can help you or someone you know, if we can pray for you, or if you have ideas how we can collaborate to help others, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Here's a quick list of things to note for today. We have a kid's message. They learn from the same text, but with kid-friendly content. It's an opportunity for families to discuss what the Bible has to say and to grow together. We also have other resources, like our Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals and the wallpapers with application question to go with it. You can find everything I just mentioned and more on our website. It's not too late to sign up for Circles also. If you want to know more about what Circles are or how to sign up, visit the Next Steps page of our website. If you're watching live, feel free to chat during the gathering. If that gets distracting, you can switch to the Bible or the notes area. You can request live prayer, and there are tabs to share your info, give, take next steps, and find previous messages. If you're watching or listening later, you can do all of those things through our website. Now here's what to expect today. In just a moment, Sandra will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and Adam will share some ways to respond in worship. Immediately after the message, you can head over to Instagram Live or Facebook Live as a way to respond through song. Here's Sandra with our text for today. Hi, Center Way. I hope you're having a lovely morning so far. My name is Sandra, and I'll be reading the scripture for us today. And today we are in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Good morning. My name's Claude, and uh, my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway, and uh, really excited to continue in our series this morning uh, called Still Life. And this morning's message is entitled specifically Assurance. So Still Life, Assurance. And uh, we're continuing in our journey through 1 John, 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, specifically, as you just heard. And um, as I contemplated this morning's message, I reflected back on my childhood, and one of my uh, 
initial experiences in riding in a school bus. Um, I was riding in a school bus. There were a bunch of older kids. I wanted so bad to fit in. And uh, I remember the first couple of experiences just being intimidated, being intimidated by uh, everyone being larger. You're a kindergartner on this school bus and there's fifth graders, sixth graders. And um, there were some some kids there saying some things, and I noticed this one kid that he had a mohawk, and uh, he would, and that was the thing then, by the way, Mr. T was like awesome, and so he had a mohawk, so the really cool kids could get a mohawk, you know, and uh, he would say these phrases, and everybody on the bus would laugh, and so I remember just watching him and listening to the phrases he would say, and not even understanding the words he was saying, because they were, some of them were words I had never heard before. <laughs> You know where I'm going with this. And uh, so he got off the school bus and uh, the the next day as we boarded the school bus, we're kind of going down and, and he doesn't get on the school bus. And I just kind of think maybe this is my opportunity to kind of have an impact. And so I kind of... Uh, say a phrase that he said. And a couple kids turned their head, they're like, whoa, what'd you just say? And so I said it again. And they started laughing and all of a sudden they're like nudging the older kids they're like, dude, did you hear what this kid just said? And so I said it again and all of a sudden I'm kind of standing on my seat and the, the bus driver saying, hey Claude, sit down, sit down. But I have an audience and so everybody is like paying attention to me. I have their undivided attention. So I'm just saying these phrases, I have no idea what they are. Kids are laughing hysterically and I, I suddenly have the undivided attention of the entire back of the bus. I am the coolest kid on the bus for sure. And so I'm just on cloud nine. I'm ecstatic, man. I'm going through the school. I'm saying this phrase in kindergarten. Kids are looking at me like, what are you What does that even mean? I'm like, I don't know, but it's funny. Trust me. And uh, my mom was a helper at kindergarten. And so from time to time she would come in. And so she came into our half day kindergarten and the kids are kind of circled around me. And, and I say this phrase to my mom and my mom looks at me like I'm about to be murdered. And she goes, what did you just say? And so I'm like, <laughs> you ever know that moment where your mom says like, what did you just say? And it's entirely different than just like curiosity. And so I'm like, I don't know. And so I say it again. And she's like, where did you hear that? I'm like, on the school bus. She's like, do not say that. Do not repeat that. And uh, I was like, all right, all right. Sorry, mom. And uh, well, I got on the school bus to go home that day. And kids are like, dude, listen to this kid. Come on, say it again. And I'm like, uh... Well, and so I'm looking around and my mom's told me not to, but I mean, my audience is awaiting. And so um, I start to say the phrases again and they start laughing hysterically. And uh, so I continue saying them, except for something was a little bit different is uh, on the way home, you see different people were on the school bus. On the way home, because I had a half day kindergarten, my older sister was on the bus and she was hearing the phrases and she was not laughing. And I did not think about that at all. And so I got home and my mom was like, I thought I told you not to say that. <laughs> and so as you can imagine, there became this thing inside of me, this desire to get people's attention by saying these phrases. And it just sort of became a habit to try to get people's attention by saying things that were inappropriate. And, uh, I learned the lesson the hard way and stopped saying those words. But the question I have for you this morning and the thing that I want you to consider as we move into the message is this, why is it so easy to pick up bad habits? Why is it so easy to pick up bad habits? All habits have an origin, a genesis moment, if you will. A moment where all of a sudden something comes to birth and, and, and there's something that feeds into that. 
Like I said, in my case, it was this idea that all of a sudden I had approval from people that I couldn't get approval from before. I had their attention. And so it started to feed in to this, this habit that was birthing within me. It was kind of budding up. But we don't just all of a sudden wake up one day habitually doing something. There's a Genesis moment. There was actually a New York Times bestseller in 2012 that kind of caught the business world by surprise because uh, it was a book that was in the genre of self-help, and yet it had a direct impact on organizational culture. The book is The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. It's a very interesting read, and uh, it is very much connected to today's topic. You see, the author's premise, and I'm admittedly oversimplifying a very in-depth book, but it's that habits are connected to cravings and that we get those root drivers and leverage them towards behavior change via reward. So we can, we can actually mold and shape our habits because they're connected to a craving. In order to break a bad habit, we can use a reward system to leverage that energy by basically introducing a different type of craving. We can also create good habits by rewarding ourselves via the cravings that we have. And so I, I mentioned the book this morning because it, it was, supports what it is that I want to submit to you today, and that's this. It's easy to pick up a bad habit because they fulfill a craving we have, or at least we think they do, right? I have a craving for attention as a as the youngest smallest kid on a school bus. I just want to fit in, I want to belong. There's this desire, this craving within me. And so as a result, I start to develop this habit of gaining people's attention in all the wrong ways. By saying phrases that I know to be inappropriate in order to get quick laughs. And so it becomes a habit of mine, so much so that when when my mother warns me not to, I even slip up and do it in front of my sister. I wish I could say that that was the only time it happened, but unfortunately, I never knew what the phrase really meant, and so I continued to say it, habitually, for weeks, whenever my sisters weren't around. And I had the undivided attention of upperclassmen all the time, until the horrifying moment that my mom found out from a teacher that I was still saying that phrase, and she pulled me aside and said, Claude, do you know what that means? And I was like, no. And why my mom didn't ask me that earlier, I have no idea. But she explained to me the best way that she could, appropriately for my age, what it was that I was saying, and I was devastated, mortified. I had just habitually said something for the purpose of getting attention. So I thought it was fulfilling this craving. The thing is, once I stopped saying that phrase, I, I didn't have anybody's attention. I even tried afterwards, knowing what the phrase was, to say it again to see if I could regain their attention. The thing is, it wasn't that funny anymore. They'd heard me say it. It didn't matter. You see, the thing that used to feed into the craving that I had suddenly wasn't delivering. It's the way habits work. You see, cravings often lead us to pursue something that is ultimately only fully found in God. When we pursue things to fulfill the cravings of our flesh, there's a name for that. It's called sin. It's called sin. So here's the deal. As humans, we pursue our cravings. Like the author of 1 John established in chapter 1, we're sinners. We're all sinners. And so we pursue the cravings of our flesh. 
And as the theologian uh, John Calvin said, the human heart is an idle factory. Isn't that an amazing, uh, sad concept or reality? That, That our heart just continually creates idols, continually creates lesser gods for us to pursue. That we're constantly chasing after the cravings of our flesh, trying to find a sense of belonging, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of meaning. This is a a human issue, not a Christian issue. We give in to cravings, and then those cravings lead to habits, which give way to addiction. You know, a telltale sign of being addicted to something is that someone you love tells you that you are, and you deny it with an unwillingness to stop whatever they point out. No, 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 that's not a problem for me. Well, then stop. I don't want to. Well, if it's not a problem, then just stop doing it. Um, Anyway, moving on, right? We know that. We know when something grips us. We understand it in the core of who we are. We don't want to face it all the time, and certainly not publicly or maybe even with those that we love. But it's It's a natural progression of our heart as we create these idols, that we pursue these cravings, that they give way to habits that ultimately lead to some form of an addiction. You know, it's funny, our minds, when we talk about this word addiction, our minds often go to like, you know, alcoholism or drug addiction. And although some people listening this morning may deal with those very things, it doesn't always have to be those classifications. There are sexual addictions. There's social media addictions. There's electronic addictions, where you just need to have electronics in front of you. You need to be engaging in something, something to distract you. You know, you can be addicted to working out. Isn't that interesting? It can become an addiction. Netflix can become an addiction. You don't have to hear that in this season of life. Some of you fully admit that you're absolutely addicted. (laughs) Eating can become an addiction. Isn't that interesting? I mean, those are things that some of them are good things. Like, it's not a bad thing to eat. It's not a bad thing to work out. But when something that's good becomes an ultimate thing, becomes destructive, it goes from a good thing to an idol, to something we assign worth to, that we worship literally with our lives. We elevate because why? Because it's delivering on something that we think we need. That all of a sudden we have some form of affirmation, some form of attention, some form of comfort. I just want to comfort myself. I just want to disengage. So I have a question this morning because I think we need to contemplate where do we go for our comfort? Where do we go for approval? Do we go to the Lord or do we go to some lesser thing? Food, working out electronics, television, you name it. Where do you go for comfort and approval? Listen, cravings, habits, addictions, they inform the way we live. Let me say that again. We're not just talking about something outside of ourselves. Like here's something that maybe you kind of struggle with. No, no, no. The cravings of our lives, the habits that we develop, and ultimately the addictions that they lead to, inform the way we live our lives. We can attempt to compartmentalize, but eventually those things infiltrate every aspect of our lives. And that's exactly what this morning's pericope or section of scripture is addressing. If we pick up in verse one of chapter two, John says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
but if anyone does sin, right? Because he's already established in chapter one that we're all sinners. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Advocate. Advocate. It's kind of a powerful word. Advocate means one who speaks to God the Father in our defense as in a courtroom. So if you can think of in a courtroom where someone's kind of making a defense and they're an advocate for the person that's accused. Now, this Greek word is pretty cool because it has a deeper meaning than what it is I just articulated. You know, it only occurs five times in the Bible as a whole, um, four times in the Gospel of John, and one time in 1 John. The four times that it, that it happens in the Gospel of John, it's actually in reference to the Holy Spirit. And so this one time uh, here in 1 John, it's used in reference to Jesus himself. So there's only one time in the entire word of God that this word advocate is used and it's in alignment specifically with Jesus, the way he functions in heaven. So now because it's used so limitedly in the Bible to really understand the word, we actually have to look at ancient Hellenistic texts to see and understand the context of what this word actually means. And what it reveals is pretty neat. It reveals that the word advocate that's used here is different than what we'd assume in our modern lives. It doesn't mean a professional advocate in a courtroom. Get this. It means one who speaks on behalf of the accused as a friend. As a friend. That's powerful, right? That, that Jesus is actually functioning on our behalf as our friend. As our advocate who's a friend. Listen, you may feel alone. You might feel broken. You may even feel gripped by the sin of your life. Maybe right now, this morning, as, as I'm speaking, you're sitting there kind of a little bit uncomfortable because you're thinking, oh, I have compartmentalized that sin. Oh gosh, I hope no one here sees through the struggle that I have or the, the difficulty that I'm working through, the, the, the habitual engagement in sin that I have, or the way that it has kind of given way to addiction. And as you sit there, there's, there's shame that creeps up. You know, shame doesn't come from the Lord. But the Holy Spirit will convict you as an advocate. And it's Jesus who will actually advocate for you before his Father. Because he is righteous when we are not. I want to tell you this morning that this verse is telling you and me that as a friend, not as a distant cosmic God, as a friend, who knows us, who walks with us. Jesus, the Son of God, advocates for us. He advocates for you. For you. Here's the trap. The trap is this, especially in Christendom. Man, that's compelling. Wow. God's my friend. Even though I'm wicked, even though I'm sinful, because we know the depravity of our own heart. And so the compelling nature of that leads to this trap. Okay, I won't let my friend down. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to overcome this habit. I'm going to stop this addiction. I've said no before. I've said I'd stop in the past, but this time, whoo, 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 this time it's different. I didn't realize Jesus was my friend. Now I'm done. No more Doritos. <laughs> I'm done with all these addictions. I'm going to set it aside tomorrow going to be different until it's not, right? Because here's the deal. We're human. 
and you and I have cravings. We want to to fill those cravings. And so the cycle continues. We give way. It leads to sin, which leads to a habit that opens up to an addiction. And we look back and say, how did we get here? How did we get here? Why? Because we fell into the trap that our best efforts would in some way change our current reality. And that never happens. Don't be trapped this morning. Jesus, the righteous, the righteous, not because you're righteous, Jesus advocates to the father. No, no, no. As a sinner, don't sin. But if you do, Jesus advocates for you. Jesus, the righteous, advocates. He's still a friend of sinners. We read in scripture that that Jesus was ridiculed by the religious of the day because he was a friend to the sinners. And yet in our minds, somehow we think that that ended with his time on earth. No, Jesus is still a friend of sinners. He's a friend of you. He's a friend of mine. And so if we can realize this morning that Jesus is a friend of sinners advocating for us, there's actually more. It doesn't end there. You see, it goes on in verse 2. It says this, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The propitiation. That is a fun SAT word. You're like, hmm, he is the propitiation. <laughs> He's the propitiation. What does it mean? It means that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It means he has paid the price for your sins and mine. This word carries with it the idea of satisfaction, a removal of guilt, if you will. In other words, he fulfills entirely the need for for atonement, for payment for the sin of our lives. So we have a friend advocating, pleading for mercy. And he's not just sitting beside his father saying, come on, give him a break. Give him a break. I know this guy. I trust him. I love him. It doesn't simply end there. No. You see, when God says, yeah, but there's sin and there has to be wrath and punishment for that sin, Jesus then says, oh, I actually paid that debt. I paid the price for my friend. I'm not only advocating on their behalf, I've fulfilled the debt. His sacrifice has secured the mercy that he's actually interceding for. Jesus is beside the father saying, I paid for that. I paid for that. And so we can be set free from the sins and the struggles of our life, not because we're modifying our behavior with some type of of habit-changing formula where we redirect our cravings, but in fact, we're set free by the truth of the fact that Jesus Christ himself is an advocate. And it's sufficient, not just for you, not just for me, according to the text, the sins of the whole world, the whole world. From the beginning of time until the end of time, Jesus has paid the price. That's the gospel. That's good news. He paid the price. He lived the life we couldn't. And so now we can walk in the freedom that he's earned because he literally stands beside his father and gives it to us. John is telling us that we have a helper in our heart 
the Holy Spirit, and a helper in heaven, Jesus. The Apostle Paul says it says something similar. He says it this way in Romans 8, beginning at verse 26 through 27. He says we have an intercessor in our hearts. The Holy Spirit actually functions as an intercessor within our hearts. And then he goes on in the same chapter, verse 35, that says we have an intercessor in heaven, making reference to Jesus. Listen, if you're in a relationship with God, no sin can separate you from the love of God. There's a peace that should come with that assurance. There's a a freedom that should come with that assurance. When we really know something, when it's really certain, we can rest in it. When we know that we know that we know, we can rest in it. The problem is we want to earn it. (laughs) We want to say, I'm going to actually be more moral so that I can earn a relationship with God. It's poor theology. You see, proper theology that says Jesus paid the price and extends love and grace and mercy to us, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us in spite of our wickedness. Proper theology actually leads to healthy moral living. The outflow of a life changed is living differently. There's a peace that comes with assurance. You know, we can have a still life. We can have a peaceful life and know that there's still life in Jesus. That assurance is available. But how do we have this assurance? Do we just stop our cravings? Like, Lord, come and be the leader of my life. Oh my gosh, I'm not overly hungry anymore. I have no desire for Netflix. In fact, I'm going to shut the TV off and just pray for 17 hours. Hallelujah. That's right. I put an R in my hallelujah because I'm that spiritual. Also, I love that while I'm recording this, all the people around here are trying not to laugh at me. (laughs) But I'm winning and they're laughing. Hallelujah. I'm set free. I'm never going to sin again. Why? Because I just decided to stop. Jesus set me free. Doesn't happen, right? Here's the deal. You want assurance, just control your habits. Just stop. Stop it. Put it down. Put it. Put it down. Stop lying. Don't lie. Shut your mouth. Just stop. Listen. You have a friend in Jesus. Shut your pie hole. Right? It doesn't happen that way. It never happens that way. We could try to adjust our habits so that we just habitually go through the motions, through the Christian motions. This is a huge trapping. A lot of us try this. I know if I just go to church and just kind of go through the motions that maybe in fooling everyone else, I'll in some way fool myself. And that some way I'll just kind of start behaving appropriately as if that's the goal. None of that works. None of it works. It all falls short. And so are we doomed (laughs) because of humanity? Are we just doomed to be gripped by these cravings, by these habits, by these addictions? Goes on, verses three through six. It says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Hmm. It's one thing to say you know God, and maybe you do know of God. But it's another thing to be in relationship with him. You see, relationships impact the way we live. Ultimately, it's a relationship that leads to obedience. It's a trust factor that starts to make way to obedience. My my mom just telling me to stop doing something, it just wasn't enough. The, The payoff that I was getting by continuing in this habit was far outweighing my obedience to her until she pulled me aside and gave me an explanation. And I trusted what she said and all of a sudden there was some remorse and I started to realize the error of my ways. It's like the relationship becomes the genesis moment for truth to be revealed. And so are you in relationship? Are you in proximity with Jesus enough to hear the truth so that it starts to unearth some things in your life, some cravings that you've redirected poorly? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He stated, only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. Hmm. Only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient believes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer ultimately gave his life for the things the Lord was calling him to do. So when he talks about taking action, something worth listening to. To know the Lord and love the Lord leads to obeying the Lord. If you really know him and you really love him, the outflow of that is obedience. You see, our cravings are only truly fulfilled in him, our creator. That fulfillment will lead us to God-honoring habits. The healthy habits are an outflow of a craving fulfilled. Think about that for a second. Think about if all of a sudden you got the craving that you have for approval, that you search in all these ways, You compromise yourself in all these different ways, attempting to get approval, only to to lead it to habits, only for it to lead to, to places you shouldn't be, engaging in things you should not engage in. If you just instead stop pursuing for approval in the world and instead realized approval is only found in your creator and processed, God, is it possible that you approve of me even though I'm broken? Is it, is, it, is it possible that you love me that much? And you start to realize that the craving that you're searching for, for love and approval, is found only in God, and the outflow of that is a life lived differently. The idea that we would search so hard for comfort in the things of this world I can't tell you how many people, they they just want to be comforted and and the compromises that they'll make, the ways that they'll, they'll run after just disengaging our brains in social media, disengaging our brains in watching television mindlessly for hours, disengaging by getting lost in watching YouTube after YouTube after YouTube or 
are just eating and eating and eating, just searching for a sense of comfort. And yet, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. If we would just take that craving that's within us and redirect it to where it should be going and say, God, would you comfort me now in my brokenness, in my aloneness? Would you comfort me and and the peace that would wash over us and the joy everlasting and the freedom we would have from the things that grip us right now? You see, it almost seems too good to be true. So what I'm saying and what John is saying is that if we are able to abide in Christ, to abide in Christ, it means to to live like him, is what he's saying. That whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you want assurance, evaluate your life. Are you obeying the Lord? Are you abiding in him? Are you stepping back from the pulls of this world and, and, and the addictions and the desires and the cravings of your heart and your mind? Are you stepping back and saying, what is it that I'm really chasing after? Am I running after God? Or am I running after something that will never deliver on what I want it to? And you know, you know what it's like to crave something, to run after it and to not have it deliver, only to crave it some more and to have it fall short again. The cycle continues. Abiding. Are you looking to the world to fulfill your cravings or are you abiding in Christ? We say every week here at Centerway that the text requires something of us. And so the the application question that I want you to consider as we go through this week is this. In what ways will I abide in Christ this week? In what ways Will I abide in Christ this week? Maybe for you this morning as you're sitting and listening to this, or maybe you're watching this after the fact and you're not able to join us live, whether you're listening or watching, I want to challenge you to evaluate your life. Are you abiding in Christ? Because maybe you know of God, but you're not in relationship with God. That can change this morning. You can simply pray a prayer, a simple prayer, It doesn't have to be magical. It doesn't have to be rote or anything. It's simply a prayer that says, God, I know that you paid the price for my sin. So I pray you'd forgive me. Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. Fulfill the cravings of my heart. I'd be known by you and that I would know you. It starts that easily. If you prayed that prayer or some version of it, I encourage you to, to press the prayer button if you're with us live so that we can just have a conversation about what your next steps could be. Or you could go and click the next steps page on our website or on the live platform and you can navigate what it looks like. And I just want to encourage you to not stop with a simple prayer. It's the beginning in the Genesis moment of life change. For others of us here this morning, maybe we've crossed that line of faith before and we find ourselves in evaluation mode. What does it look like to abide in Christ? Have you been told by God to do something? A sense, an urge, a leading, you know that you know you're supposed to do this and you just haven't taken action because of the risks, they're just too high or the worries or the the things just don't work out, but you know it's a God thing. It's not just your best idea. In fact, it's counterintuitive. It's, It's a God thing. When are you gonna take action on that? Does it look 
like taking time to abide in Christ by just listening and saying, okay, Lord, what's my next step? Does it mean being generous in this season in a way beyond what's typical or understood? I don't know. I don't pretend to know. I know some of us have more time than ever and some of us have less time than ever. However you find yourself in this season, what does it look like for you to abide in Christ this week? Does it look like finally making that call and saying, okay, I'm going to click on next steps. I'm going to sign up for one-on-one discipleship. I'm going to begin a relationship with the Lord in a deeper way and allow a spiritual coach to speak into my life. Does abiding in Christ mean connecting to a circle in this season? Because they're still open, as you've heard or will hear. And so you have an opportunity to sign up. I want to encourage you. I don't know. I don't pretend to know what it looks like for you to abide in Christ this week. But I know all of us have a next step. And so even if you're a faithful follower that has crossed that line of salvation, is engaged in in all of the things to, to move forward, what does it look like for you to missionally abide in Christ this week? What ways will I abide in Jesus this week? Let's bow our heads and pray as we just consider and allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we declare ourselves available. We ask this morning that that you would just open the the dark recesses of our hearts and mind, the the areas of our life that we think are hidden, that we, we know are not hidden from you. God, you know our motives, you know our struggles, you understand our cravings. You're a friend to us even in the midst of our brokenness. So I pray this morning that you would open those recesses, those quiet parts, those corners of our lives, and that you would shed light, that you would lead us, that you would direct us, that we would take action abiding in you this week so that we would have a life lived differently, that there would be a ripple effect, a legacy that would begin, a legacy that would continue, implications of the gospel moving forward in areas that it hasn't moved forward before because we simply said, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Um, You're going to want to stay tuned as you get some more directions following, but we're really excited about this series. Can't wait for next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Hi, I'm Adam, here to share ways to respond to the word in worship. We want to encourage you to spend time with the application question that Claude just shared and worship by devoting time just by being with God. There are many ways to worship, giving, taking next steps, and serving are a few. If you're with us on the live platform, in just a moment, we also get to worship together through song. If you're watching or listening later, you can listen to the songs from the set on Spotify, search Senaway Church, and look for our Still Life playlist. For those with us live, we'll give you a minute or two to join us on Instagram Live or Facebook Live to worship and song together. We'll see you over there.